Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from uh, Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshwara Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Um, I guess before we get started, let all of you know that, uh, you know, I've been talking about that solid gold linga and we've raised enough funds for the linga. Uh, so as soon as Punaji can get away, he's going to go meet with the goldsmiths, the artisans, uh, make sure all the uh, proportions are just exactly right. And uh, then we'll have the linga made. Uh, from what I've heard, you know, there are other people that are interested in getting involved and uh, just haven't had a time to, uh, you know, log on and get it done. And uh, if you're still interested in doing that, then you can. The more the merrier. And uh, uh, if more people get involved, it'll just be a bigger linga, you know. And if a whole bunch more people get involved, then instead of just the linga being solid gold, the uh, yoni, you know, the holder, if you will, for the uh, linga would be solid gold too, which would even be more powerful. But uh, it's not necessary. We're good. Uh, but, you know, from my side, you know, it's funny. I noticed that um, I'm not a real great fundraiser, you know, because I just – if I feel like there's any benefit to me, even though I don't take a salary or anything, I haven't drawn any money out of the, uh, you know, uh, community center, any of the not-for-profits uh, uh, for a long, long time, years and years. But um, in fact, I donate, but um, Nevertheless, something about the gold linga, I know that every penny, like I've told you, every single penny that we get for it's going directly into the linga. And uh, it's for your benefit, you know. Uh, uh, I don't really see it as a donation, but as a participation, you know. And for that reason, uh, I've just noticed it's a lot easier for me to encourage people to uh, get involved with it. I feel like it's a great opportunity. Uh, I mean, these ceremonies for the gold linger are going to be done. The plan is to do them in perpetuity and everybody who participates is going to get benefit from that in perpetuity, you know, uh, and an interesting conversation with Punaji. Oh, what was it? Day before yesterday, I think. And we were talking about, you know, cause they're different kind of lingas. You can have a linga made out of granite. The, and most often you'll see granite lingas in temples because you know, people go there and uh, it's for the people to come. And what granite does is it takes any kind of negative karma or anything and it dissolves it, kind of just puts it into the earth, and neutralizes it. Uh, and the other lingas, crystal linga, mercury linga, they're kind of similar. They're all of the earth, so to speak, and kind of a little different, but have sort of similar values. Whereas the, the uh, solid gold linga is unique and that it radiates, you know, prosperity, abundance, uh, fullness of life. You know, a lot of people think Lakshmi uh, value is uh, money, but it's a lot more than that. It's prosperity on all levels. It can be compared to a day like today, you know, just a beautiful, 
sunny sky, white puffy clouds, flowers blooming, lush grass, everything in them, uh, just like a day of perfection. So it'll bring that value out into the environment and also to all the people who are, particularly the people who are participating, um, uh, you know, in getting the gold lingo and being a part of the whole thing. My, um, Michael? What, yeah. What, what's, um, maybe you could go over again of the shape of the linga. What yeah, is that's a good question. What, what is it about that shape? You know, because yeah. a lot of people go, okay, how, how does this, you know, <laughs> how is this possible that it's going to do something like that? And I know, anyway, shape. Yeah. The, the shape of the thing, it's egg shaped. And it's interesting that um, a number of different religions or whatever, you know, ancient um, uh, scriptures and things refer to the shape of the universe as egg shaped. Now, uh, and so the, the linga is egg-shaped. It's in uh, Vedic tradition, it's called the Haranyagarbha. It's the shape of the universe. Uh, and there's a sutra that we, we teach where you actually do a Patanjali yoga sutras, and one of them that's on the moon, you actually see the shape of the universe. Um, but now here, here's the thing, too, is that all these things are abstract mappings. And uh, uh, even though on in, what was it, Time Magazine, I think, 10, 20 years ago, I don't know, actually had on the front cover a picture of the shape of the universe. It was a flower like that, kind of like morning glory. The rest of it being, you know, unmanifest uh, uh, to complete the shape of the egg, you know, um, and there are physicists that debate that. I mean, the, the physicists are, well, my brother has a PhD in physics, and I was telling him about the Vedic structure of the universe and all that. He was saying, you know, in modern physics, there are so many different theories and stuff that, uh, who knows, from the perspective of modern physics, you know? Uh, so I guess what I want to say when we say the Rani Garba, it's, it's not necessarily a direct correlation in the physical. It could be a mapping of, of, of sorts, you know. Uh, but the point being then that that Chaitanya value, that infinite source, that one thing that's the source of everything in, in its most, uh, how would we want to say it, um, transcendental, I guess we could say, form, is Shiva. That's called, it's called Shiva. Of course, Shiva has a personified correlate. It also has a principle in physics, the unified field. Uh, and then we can get into the whole subject of what, what is more meaningful. Well, obviously, just like a human being, you look at another human being, you don't think they're a bunch of protons, electrons, neutrons. You relate to and interface with the personified correlate. And that is, in fact, the language of nature. If you want to interface with that unified field at the transcendental level of all the different aspects of the unified field, they call those gods, but really it's, you know, different aspects of the one, you know, different faces of the one. Uh, the most efficient language to do that isn't, you know, formulas in modern physics. It's addressing the personified, uh, just like in um, life. 
when we talk to each other, we talk about we talk to different people. We're not talking to a pile of electrons, protons, and neutrons. But that's a highly sophisticated uh, technology. And uh, you see, that's the beauty of, of uh, the language of nature, which is Sanskrit, is that it has meanings on all different levels. It's not just on one level. And uh, that's why I think it's a value that we have some understanding of the physics of the whole dynamic, because otherwise we can get off on you know superficial tangents and start relating to divinity, to God, uh, really on a more superficial level. Uh, whereas if, if we can move through these different levels of existence and find that deepest place, not the deepest place we're capable of experiencing now, but the deepest place that exists uh, as we refine our physiology more and more, we can more and more fully tap into that. Then our uh, communion with divinity becomes more powerful. So the whole idea of a, a Shiva Linga and a gold Linga is that now we have a form that through these Vedic um, technologies, these pujas, these uh, forms of uh, ceremony, if you will, uh, we can move, and the pundit does this every day at the temple, transgradingly into and bring that deepest value of wholeness, harmony, intelligence, all those principles that uphold all of nature and radiate those values out to the world. Uh, and with the gold linga, then it enlivens that prosperity, that abundance, that fullness of life value and radiates that out. Um, is, how's that, Scotty? Is that pretty much say it? Yeah, I think so. That's that's exactly what I was looking for. But that's what you were looking for. Okay. So now, um, today, you know, there's that thing that I think most all of us are familiar with. If not, you can Google it, you know, but it's called the desider. What is it? The desiderata, you know, go placidly among the noise and haste and remember what peace there be in silence, you know. And it goes on like that. And it's beautiful. You know, people read that, and I think it's very inspiring in that. But I think we do well to take a look at um, a deeper mechanic of, you know, if everybody, whoever reads that, I think would think it's beautiful. Uh, but nevertheless, look at what we're experiencing in life. You know, I heard somebody refer to this as the era of rage. You know, it's vogue to be uh, enraged at whoever or whatever you don't agree with. You know, all the conflicts, it's all rage. And it's kind of paradoxical, isn't it? Because we all read the Desiderata or whatever, and we feel into that wisdom and the love wise quotes, and it's all beautiful and stuff. But if certainly if you look at the world, um, rage seems to be what's in vogue and wisdom isn't. You know, we may um, pretend in a way to, to uh, have an affinity. Pretend isn't quite the right word. But, uh, you know, if we're sitting around with a bunch of people we get along with, okay, great, we're all very wise and loving. And isn't it wonderful? Kumbaya, hold hands, blah, blah. But out in the world, we have our conflicts and it's just rageful. So I think we do well to take a look at uh, a principle in uh, Vedic knowledge, which is called uh, Apurva. I've talked a little bit about it before. But Apurva is uh, 
Apoorva is kind of like the substrate, the, uh, uh, it's a component of the underlying basis of existence, kind of like a kosh, if you will, space, you know, but, but, but Apoorva, um, is then the connecting link between an action and the reaction, cause and effect. And you can read about Apoorva in the Vedic literature, and it's, it's interesting because you see, the Vedic literature, again, the language of nature exists transgradiently on all these different levels of existence. And so, depending on what level you pick it up on, or in the case of Vedic literature, literature how you translate it, depends on what level you pick it up on. And oftentimes then uh, in the Vedic literature, when you talk about a Purva, they're talking about the art of ceremony, the art of uh, uh, how a ceremony is to be performed and thereby what the effect is, what the influence you're generating is. But uh, the connecting link between that action and the effect all goes through this substrate, this medium called uh, Apoorva. Uh, so it's kind of like the, the cosmic glue that connects karmas, action, reaction, interaction, you see? And everything in nature cycles. The sun rises, the sun sets, even the electron pulsates, you know? And like that, we have the... Uh, annual cycles, yearly, uh, monthly with the moon. And we have longer cycles with like the yugas that we talked about in the past, these huge long ages, you know, everything is cycling. And uh, Apoorva too, the quality, the nature of Apoorva cycles over time. And we ride that roller coaster over long periods of time. And uh, right now we can say that Apoorva is agitated, you know, and, you know, in a sense, short term, there's not much we can do about changing Apoorva. It's just the sun rises at nighttime. You can't say, oh, I want it to be daytime. No, it's nighttime, you know. But nevertheless, you can ride that roller coaster artfully. And I've talked about that in previous podcasts or not, you know, uh, and we just do the best we can. But what's happening now when we talk about how this enlightened age is coming, there's this uh, transition coming in the quality of a purva so that things will become just naturally more harmonious. And they call that a, we're entering a golden age, a satyuga brief period of Sat Yuga right in the midst of the chaos of Kali Yuga, you see? Um, and right now, I know it's hard for a lot of people. People write in and, you know, they're telling me a lot of people are having a hard time because, it, as I said, in that phase transition period, the turbulence becomes even greater. And all you have to do if you can stomach, <laughs> if you can stomach it is turn on the news and it's like, oh, my goodness, the conflict nationally, internationally, interpersonally, racially, I mean, on every level, in every way, it seems 
the Apoorva is agitated, you know, but it is getting better. And the thing is, it is going to change. The sun will rise, period. There's nothing we're going to be able to do about that. And that's a good thing. But the question becomes, how do we ride that wave? What, how is it going to affect humanity? And that we can do a lot about. And that, I think, this gold linga, for example, or the ceremonies that Pandit does every day in the temple, that Panditji does every day in the temple, all those things, what they do is they help the phase transition to be more comfortable. Uh, the idea is that the way things were going, this goes back, you know, a number of decades, the way things were going, it was going to end up in like an Armageddon. And, you know, I mean, if you're into this stuff, Nostradamus predicted that Armageddon and a lot of um, scriptures and different people through time have said, oh, Armageddon is coming. But by virtue of what's being done, what's been done, yes, the transition will happen, but it can happen more smoothly. It doesn't have to be an Armageddon. And it appears now that it's not, well, it's not going to be. But it's still, you can see just by watching the news, it's, it is rough, you know. Now, there's, there's another principle in uh, nature that I thought we'd bring up, another aspect of another face of the unified field, and that's uh, uh, Durga. Durga is uh, Ma Durga, um, Mother Durga, and uh, she's often depicted as um, kind of like all these arms and weapons and slain demons and things like that. And so, you know, you can get the idea that my, you know, she, she's uh, vicious, you know. But the thing is, what that represents is that she annihilates uh, negativity. She annihilates oblivion. She annihilates the rakshasa value that dwells within people. You know, see, rakshasa means like, you know, bad guys, demons, whatever. And so, uh, so from the perspective of, the negative aspect within people, then she's vicious. But from the greater perspective, from the, the good within us, she's all loving and all comforting. You know, there's a um, aspect of uh, Dorga. I see all these different aspects of aspects of their own self. And uh, one aspect of Dorga is Shanta Dorga, Shanti peace, Shanta Dorga peaceful mother. And it's very interesting that the, the story of her role, so to speak, is that there was a time when the two major principles, you could say, or two of the major, major principles in nature, Shiva and Rama, uh, Shiva and Vishnu, were fighting. And uh, they were in conflict. And so, you know, that can have ripples through... Um, Apurva, you know, uh, disruptiveness in nature itself, conflict, cause and effect, agitated. And so what happened is um, uh, Shanta Durga, Durga in the form of peaceful mother, came and took uh, Shiva and Vishnu by the hand and brought balance, you know, kind of calm down you guys, you know, and brought balance back to the universe. Uh, and I guess you could say that's sort of, what's going on now, you know, because these principles in nature are omnipresent at every point in creation eternally. And, and, uh, uh, 
they then map out into the melodrama of life, if you will, in different ways um, as we take the omnipresence of all things at every point in nature and spread it out over the face of time. See, so all these things are mappings and they exist on different levels and, 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 and like that, you see. And it, so if you understand mapping um, and you see how all that works, uh, we gain an insight in the nature of our lives and, and, and what's going on, you know? Uh, and I, I think it's important. It's, I know it's important. We need to get a, a feeling for the big picture instead of getting lost in, you know, what is otherwise a, a narrow vision, which limits our understanding of life and even in, uh, undermines our ability to understand what's going on within us right now, you know, uh, because Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty. I, I said, I've never seen a time where people are more adherent to their points of view than any other time. It's like, no, you know, it's either left or right, up or down or whatever it is, you know, they're just glued to their opinion. Don't want to hear anything else or don't want to work together. Is there, are there things that we can do? Like, I remember you talking about Samaveda before where like listening to Samaveda is like the WD-40 or something yeah. like that, or is, what are some maybe things that we could do? Or Well, first let's see. Oh, the thing. Okay. I'm going to get off on a tangent here and then I'll go to that. Um, there's a guy who wrote a book recently about the, and this might sound ta very tangential first, but it's not about the effects of marijuana and how uh, it creates, you know, things like paranoia, self-righteousness, judgment, uh, even mental illness it predisposes people to mental illness. And that his whole point, he's a physician, I'm quite sure, that uh, these things are kind of being buried under the rug. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, everybody sh should be fine, you know. But, but he was saying that the the long-term effects, the deleterious effects of marijuana in particular, are particularly undermining. And then you get into the other drugs like, uh, you know, what, uh, cocaine and what's that other one? I forget. It's so lethal and popular at the same time. Fentanyl or heroin? I can't, no, I can't remember. It's a, anyway, uh, the thing is, those things are really agitating the apurva, you know, and not to mention just our own physiologies on a more superficial level. And that's kind of become the mentality that we're dealing with. That's kind of pervasive now. Uh, and all, all, all that uh, needs to change. Now, Scotty, you were saying, you know, how can we do that? Well, number one, number one by far is that is the meditation. And again, if you go on YouTube and go to my type in Michael Mamas, go to my YouTube channel, you'll see there are two videos there, how to meditate. And it's free. You can learn how to do it. That's number one, learn a proper meditation. And I don't mean to say other meditations are improper, so I'm not really expressing myself well there. But I'm talking about a meditation that by quite naturally allows the awareness to rest into that deepest level. 
that source of infinite harmony and coherence, the unified field level. And once your physiology gets integrated with that, then you're going to radiate more of the Lakshmi value, more of the har harmony value. Um, and then, you know, the gold linga, the pujas at the temple, all these different things. And Scotty mentioned Samaveda. Samaveda, uh, it's, Samaveda is it's a particular aspect of the Veda. And if you hear it, it's just like, oh, that's great, you know. And, it, and you can Google it, S-A-M-A Veda. I'm sure the chance will come up. But, but uh, um, by listening to it, it it's like, like Scotty was saying, it's like WD-40 for the physiology. It brings out just that smoothness value and, and just evens things out and kind of helps get rid of the rough edges. So a really good thing to do is after you meditate, you know, just take some time to come out a few minutes like that and then listen to Samaveda for five minutes and then go into your activity, you know. Um, and that's that's what we're trying to do, you know. Really, that's our purpose. The, the golden age is coming. The question is, is there going to be an Armageddon that's the transition, which there won't be, but it's just how rough is that transition going to be? And what we want to do is smooth it out because also – the angle that we enter this golden age through is going to determine how long it lasts. You see how long we enjoy it before we kind of bounce off of it, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, and so just keep in mind right now, and I do, I can't help but it's, it's, it's a drug mentality, you know. Uh, it's the age of rage and the age of judgment and the age of polarization. And uh, we like wisdom. We hear wisdom. Oh, isn't that beautiful and stuff? The desiderata. Oh, yeah. But, but the Apoorva doesn't support people living that way. And uh, our own conditioning of how our minds work in this time doesn't support us living that way. And if people try to live that way, oftentimes it's, it's a form of de denial, really. You know, it's, it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to be peaceful and tranquil, and that makes me a spiritual being. But that's almost like a Band-Aid covering whatever's going on deeper inside, you know, which I'm not saying it's bad, but it, it's not really uh, the real solution we're looking for, you know. Uh, I'll tell you... The um, number one, you know, people, we're all concerned about pollution and the sky is polluted, the oceans are polluted, everything's polluted, the atmosphere is polluted. The number one cause of pollution is negative thoughts, our own negativity that dwells within us. It's a source of conflict between us. It's a source of why in the world we can't find solutions to things like pollution. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there. Oh, it's there, but they don't want it to come out because it would destroy the economy because it's based on this or that. And if, if this invention that's, you know, pollution-free came out, you know, all that stuff is just from negative thoughts and limited thinking. It's negative thoughts are, are the source of pollution and, 
when there's pollution in the horizon, it's because of it's a direct mapping of the negativity within people. And uh, uh, you know, even even um, this whole thing with racism, that's all confused, you know, because it's almost like it seems like people are striving for the solution to racism to be homogeneity, everybody the same, you know. What are they talking about? One religion, one culture, one thought, one belief system, one world. I don't agree with that, you know. Uh, uh, I rejoice at uh, the uniqueness of the Italian culture and uh, uh, the uniqueness of every culture, Irish, Jewish, Black, Hindu, you know, and the only place I've really seen that celebrated is that there was a ride at uh, Disney World in Orlando. And, you know, it's a small world and da 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 and it's beautiful. And, and so I'd like to say that racism is that cultural integrity that I'm talking about gone insane, you know? And uh, uh, it's just... It's not going to happen because cultural integrity maintains the culture and integrity of the people. You see, so we just we need a more mature relationship with with all of it. And so many of the problems we're having, particularly when we get into different ethnic groups and the conflicts between them, it's it's um, it's just not. It's, it's got to be understood that there are different cultures and we have to honor them and bring out the, the divinity that dwells at the depth of each culture. And I like to say, you know, there's this thing, everything is a mandala, it's a circle, you know, and uh, uh, there's a high end, we could say to the mandala and a low end of the mandala of cultures. And, Every culture has a high end, just the beauty of that culture, the uniqueness of the beauty of that culture, and then a low end, you know. And uh, I think we tend, when we're judgmental of other cultures, to think of just the low end, which is a shame. And instead of trying to annihilate or defeat the low end, what we want to do is support and feed the high end so that all people live and enjoy the, the blessings of their own culture, the blessings of their own heritage, uh, the blessings of their own nature, because there is a correlation between the nature of our DNA and the nature of our culture. One feeds and supports the other. Now, that's not, we can't be narrow about it either, because, you know, there's always going to be a blending and all that's going to be going on. And that's, I'm not saying that shouldn't be. But what I am saying is that the divinity within each culture, we do well to support it and honor it. You know, a little tangentially here, but uh, this thing about all the police shootings and people getting shot and things. And I just have one thought about that. And I'm coming from a place, an uneducated place, because I've never been a cop. I've never been on the streets. I've never had to deal with this from either side. But one thing that I wonder about, and I've heard about that it does exist, I don't know, it's just non-lethal force. I mean, I understand there are guns that shoot um, pepper spray. 
so that if you shoot somebody, if the police were armed with those things, then they can shoot at a great distance, not like a taser where you have to be up close. But that way, if you shoot somebody, you don't kill them. Uh, it's just a pepper spray. And, you know, it's not pleasant, but they're disabled for a period of time. Uh, long enough that if somebody's, you know, acting out or whatever, or somebody has a gun or whatever, you can shoot them with a pepper spray and then handcuff them and take away their gun, you know. Uh that sounds good to me. It sounds a lot better than getting shot with a bullet. Uh, but, but I don't but know. Michael, they, they, they do they do tasers and things like that now. And then the other side of the argument also is that, you know, those bad guys have guns, you know, and they don't know when they're going to come up on somebody that has a gun and they're, they're not pulling out pepper spray or a taser to the cop, right? It, it depends so, on the tech. I hear you. I hear you, and I agree with that, and it depends on the nature of that technology. I don't know how advanced it is. I don't know how effective it is, and I also don't know the psychological impact, even if it is just as effective as far as you know, being able to shoot somebody at whatever distance you have to and hit them with a pepper spray, and then they just five minutes later, they're fine, but for five minutes, you have time to run up there and cuff them or whatever. Uh I don't know if that even exists to that level of sophistication, but I just, I'm just wondering about it. I'm not saying this is the way it should be. I'm just saying that, gee, wouldn't that be nice, but maybe it has a psychological effect or if somebody knows they're not going to get shot. I don't know. That sounds horrible to me, but, but anyway, if somebody knows they're not going to get shot, then maybe um, they would be more inclined to run around with a weapon. I don't know. But this whole idea of non so many force. variables, you know? That's right. I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you. I, I really don't know. Yeah. But I just, I just think it's worth uh, right. w worth bringing up, you know? Yeah. But the key... Oh, yeah. No, to, it's cool to have a conversation about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to show people how to do and, it. And, and yeah. the conversation where people from one side of the fence don't get enraged at people who have a different opinion about non-lethal force. And then all it becomes is a war of rage. And, you know, what, where do they come to? So it's a good example, you know, of maybe how we should approach questions of all sorts, including non-lethal force, you know? Um, but really one of the, one of the important things I think, and, and we do will, uh, well to, um, consider this, the crux of the whole matter really is, is the idea of our reference frame. Uh, the best reference frame is the reference frame that's rooted in the unbounded ocean of our own wisdom, the depth within our being. And, and uh, as I've said earlier, that's not really vogue, but it's also something that needs to be cultured you know, because again, it's it's not enough to you know think it when we're feeling lofty and hanging out with our friends and being all love and light. But it's more a question of can we live it, and that takes integration of the physiology. But all too often today, our reference frames are based on some you know intellectual perspective, and uh, uh, you know, like I'm fond of saying, you can justify anything with the intellect. And people do. So we've got all these, you know, justified 
reference frame so that are biased based largely on emotion. And then we create an intellectual uh, paradigm or rationalization of that's how we view the world. And it's not really rooted in the one thing that's the source of everything. And we even take ideas like, you know, God and, and uh, oh, yeah, you know, God is good and God is love and God is light and all this stuff. And uh, uh, but it, then we turn it into a paradigm. So really bringing the light of life, the light of God, the light of divinity to the world isn't about clinging to some mental paradigm. It's really about cultivation of our awareness, cultivation of our being, evolution of our physiology. And I don't mean physical physiology. I mean psychophysiology, how our mind works, how our soul wells up through our being, you know, like that. And and that's really what it's all about. And as we go into this phase transition and Purva settles down, the interaction between cause and effect isn't so agitated. Things will become more harmonious. And that's when we're going to have uh, reference frames that just naturally emerge that are more in harmony with nature. Uh, and I think really just, I hope you're understanding Michael, what I'm, that- I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here, because if, if, if we can lean in that direction, it will help bring it forth. Scotty, what were you saying? Scotty? No, what I'm saying is that, you know, it seems like, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Scotty's on the road. He's traveling. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me or no? Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know, yeah, you know, it seems like, we need to clean our physiologies and all of these problems will go away. (laughs) We just, as people start to raise the level of everybody's consciousness. That's right. Everybody's, you know, that's right. All this stuff goes away. So yeah, you can look at it like that. Like the awareness is cluttered. You know, sometimes I've talked about, we're all into dental hygiene. We all brush our teeth every day. We couldn't imagine not doing that, but where's the mental hygiene? Where's the uh, psychophysiological hygiene, cleaning? Uh, and you can look at that two different ways. Are we removing the dirt or are we enlivening the divinity? Well, one facilitates the other, you know. Uh, we live in a strange time and uh, it's a time of transition. And I know that from day to day, everything can seem so hard that um, uh, we get really stressed over it, stressed over the world, stressed over our lives, afraid of what's going to happen, things like that. Uh, And I understand that it can really be challenging for people to say, oh, okay, this is the phrase transition. You can hear it, but there's going to be at some level, they said, are we really going to get through this? You know, when you're shooting the rapids, and you don't know how far downstream those rabbits will continue to be uh, or if they'll ever end, you know, people might feel. Uh, I understand that it's, it's, it's challenging, but I think at the same time, the phase transition is happening. These things were predicted 5,000 years ago by Lord Krishna, you know, and if you look at the Jyotish, if you look at the numerology, it's all saying the same thing. 
So, you know, just hang in there, you know, and uh, things are going to get good. Things are going to get better. And uh, there's going to be negativity. There's going to be angry, anger. You know, they say that there's good and bad in everybody. And we can choose whether or not we want to align with the bad or align with the good. And this is a time where, you know, let's do our best to align with the good, hang in there. And uh, to the extent that you can, you know, embrace it, just know that a golden age is coming. And uh, you want to be around to enjoy it, you know. And uh, uh, so just hang in there and it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be more than fine. Okay, that's about it for now. Thanks for listening. And Scotty, anything else? No. no. We're good. No. All right. Thank you, Scotty. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks.